Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the <laughs> Film Club Podcast. Here, through the power of the internet, we go back and forth, bringing movies together. Some new, some bad, some good, some fun. Nah, they're always fun here at the Film Club. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Sorry I lost track there. Somebody decided to punch me in the side while I was reading. Right, punch you in the side or tickle you, because Dean's very ticklish, in case you guys don't know this, so if you ever meet him, give him a tickle, he loves it. No, please, please don't do that if you value your life, but yeah. If you've been vaccinated and you have a mask on, feel free to walk up and just give him a little tickle. Stop that, stop, bad, that's a bad boo. Alright, well, Miss Boo, March is over, we're starting April. We are. And with a new month comes a new theme for our little podcast here. That's right, because we do enjoy theme months here at the Film Club. So this month we're going to be doing kind of like a tribute to comedy. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be, you know, kind of going over different genres of comedy. So this this week, you know, it is April 1st, the day that you hear this. So Mm -hmm. happy April Fool's Day. April Fool's. Yeah. Yeah. So... There's going to be no episode today, so we'll see you next week at the phone club. Deuces. Those Hollywood nights. Me in <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not no. going to sing with you in a recording. Wow, why are you going to hate me? <laughs> but right. since it's April 1st, I thought that, you know, we would go back in time to, like, the really start of comedy with vaudevillian comedy. So yeah. we're going to be doing A Night at the Opera by the Marx Brothers that came out in 1935. Is this the oldest movie we've done on the podcast? Or is Dr- uh, no Dracula would be, right? I think Dracula was the oldest. Well, this comes in pretty close to the second. Yeah. So yeah, so we have Night at the Opera, The Marx Brothers, one of your favorites? Oh, definitely. Now, I was not one of the people who grew up with The Marx Brothers. Those weren't like my brand of old school comedy. I think I think The Marx Brothers were probably Mm, for I don't, I don't know they were for the kids who had like turner classic movies and i was a kid who had like spike tv so i had like you know three stooges marathons every like new year's i mean i had both but rich girl over here could afford real cable instead of stealing it like everyone else i mean do you really want to boast that on the internet and nah, no uh, statute of limitations have long since expired I'm gonna think Spike TV is still a channel. So guys, we might have to be making a GoFundMe to get Dean out of jail. So it's fun. Just watch, you know, our, our social media, just in case. Yeah. But I didn't grow up with the Marx Brothers. I actually watched them in high school. That was really? the first time I saw A Night at the Opera. But I did grow up with the Three Stooges, uh, Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. But yeah, I saw this in high school. Loved it. I was dying when I saw this movie. Yeah. So I know that this isn't your favorite out of the two Marx Brothers movies that you've seen. Yeah. Um. Don't get me wrong. I know who the Marx Brothers are. They're pretty much a staple of movie nerd comedies, right? Since they were like one of the first big like mo- like um film comedy guys, right? During the sound era. Yeah, I mean, they were the ones to stick with the the vaudeville traditions, Mm -hmm. where a lot of people were progressing with the times. They did vaudeville so good that they were like, you know what, we're going to hold on to this and just kind of advance the technique a little bit. Yeah, make make it more suitable for film, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's kind of proven the test of time that, you know, 
you know, so many years later, they're still funny. The The material is outdated, I'll give you that, but they're still a good watch. I don't even think the material's that outdated. Here, Here's my thing about comedies this old. So, comedy is one of those genres of film that I think tend to age better. Like, Charlie Chaplin films are still great. Oh, Like, yeah. Gold Rush is still an actual masterpiece. The Great Dictator. Great Dictator is, again, another masterpiece. Like, Charlie Chaplin's a big one. Buster Keaton stuff is still funny. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the silent comedy stuff can still get a laugh out of modern audiences because comedy really is um, kind of the eternal genre. Yeah. Whereas stuff where it's, you know, more wisecracking, you know, one-liner, stuff like that, that stuff tends to age a little bit differently but i think the marx brothers work here because they're very fast talking there's a lot of physical comedy there's a lot of gags they're they're really big on gag comedy but yeah so this is night of the opera that we're talking about today but the only other one i've seen is night of casablanca Mm -hmm. and i will spoil it i liked night of casablanca far better than this movie which i'm surprised because i mean i love a night at casablanca that was Mm -hmm. the first one that i showed you of the marx brother movies but yeah, I, I really thought maybe you would like this one more, or Duck Soup. Um, I might like Duck Soup more. I know that people say Night at the Opera and Duck Soup are their best films. They're mm-hmm. the ones that have been immortalized in the annals of history. They're the ones chosen for the AFI Top 100. They're the ones that are in the Library of Congress. Yeah. They're, they're those ones. But Night at the Opera's just kind of, eh. Really? Just kind of, eh? Yeah, just kind of... Eh, don't get me wrong, like, there's gags in the movie that I think work really well um, when they're on the cruise ship, and it's, like, 15 people are trying to jam into, like, a broom closet of a room. That I mean, got a laugh out of I me. I mean, the state boardroom scene is, like, the most iconic scene from all of the Marx Brothers movies. Yeah. And then, then there's the other one where they're spinning around the rooms, and it's like, wait, there's two beds in this room, and then he goes to the other room, and it's like, wait... Wasn't the bed in the other room and they're spinning it around and all this other stuff. I mean, that's a great scene. Yeah, but that's the thing. There's a lot of funny gags. There's a lot of funny clips clips in this movie. But the overarching story of the movie, it's like, whatever. Well, you also told me that you didn't understand the story. Well, a little. Well, a lot of it was I just lost track of the narrative. I got like, mm, like halfway through and I just kind of lost track as to what the fuck was going on because the opera aspect is there's an opera singer and another opera singer and they kind of like there's a love triangle thing going on and their goal is to go across the waters to the opera but thing is i did not know really anyone's names other than the marx brothers i didn't know the marx brothers actual character names i didn't i mean they say them they they well no they address them but it's like it's not it's not that important like, there's so much about the story that feels, like, not important for the comedy. So, like, I just kind of stopped paying attention to the story and was just waiting for the next bit. Okay, so, I mean, do you want me to kind of give you, like, a, a rundown of I what mean, the you story can, is? You should give the rundown for the audience. I watched the movie. I just, you know, didn't really care too much about the plot after about 20 minutes. Of course, because, you know, Dean hates plots. He hates all plots. I love plots. I have lots of stories or books about plots but yeah no it's just this plot's kind of weak 
the the jokes are great like i ain't gonna say this is not a bad movie it's a really fun really funny movie it's really good it's just you know the plot that's supposed to string together the gags it's like mediocre it's like serviceable the marx brothers are spinning around in their graves right now you're calling their work mediocre no just the just the script writer who wrote the stuff in between the marx brothers work yeah, because even the, um, there's, you know, my, in my research, I found that Groucho was kind of pissed off at the screenwriters for the way that they wrote this film. Yeah. But, you know, to give the kind of the plot of this movie, it's about obviously the Marx Brothers, because any Marx Brothers movie is they most most of the time they don't know each other. They always manage to find each other. They get stuck in a situation. They are the underdogs and then they come out on top as the heroes. Mm-hmm. So in this story... Uh, Groucho, he plays Otis B. Driftwood, who is kind of like a, a producer or a manager for he's a, opera He's singers. a shyster. He's well, a shyster well, of Hollywood. Well, yeah, that, that's the character that he always is. He's tr- always trying to make that big buck. He is always the shyster. Yeah, so he goes to this opera house where we have our female lead, who is uh, played by Kitty Carlisle. Her name's Rosa. She's in love with a tenor by the name of Ricardo. And then we have the star of the opera, who is Rudolfo Lasperi, who's, you know, a giant douche. And he's in love with Rosa, but Rosa's in love with Ricardo. And it turns into, you know, this love triangle where this, you know, opera is just becoming so big in Italy that they're ready to take it to New York. But Ricardo doesn't really have a big stage presence or uh, he's not as big as... Rodolfo, so he kind of gets left behind, even though he's incredibly talented. So it's this, he doesn't have the star power. Yeah, so it's the struggle of, you know, her wanting to advance her career but not wanting to leave her love behind. So Groucho, when he you know makes his appearance, he wants to sign you know the biggest star of the play, and that's when we meet Chico Marx, who plays Fiorello, who says you know well you know what I'm a manager and my my client is the star of this play who is really Ricardo, not, you know, uh, Rodolfo. Mm -hmm. So we go through this whole thing where, you know, Groucho thinks that he signed on Rodolfo, but he's really signed on this guy that's, you know, not really known. So it turns into all of them jamming into, you know, a piece of luggage to go onto this ship to America. And it's just the antics of them trying not to get thrown off the boat Mm. because they're, they're all Italian citizens and they're trying to sneak into the States to become famous it turns into Groucho, you know, trying to shice the money out of the woman that's financing this opera. Mm-hmm. And it's just chaos until the end when the lovers can be reunited and it's a happily ever after story. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's lovely, boo. I didn't get any of that shit. I of mean, I, under, I understood <clears throat> that there was the love triangle aspect. I understood that they're going to America. I understood it was for the opera. But that's the thing. I understood. It's like, oh, there's the broad strokes. I didn't know any of the details, but yeah, the broad strokes are there. It like that's the thing. I I'm not saying oh the plot is, it look, it's not like a Terrence Malick movie where the plot's kind of like slow, methodical, and kind of meanders like Badlands, where it's just this experience kind of a movie where it's like the plot is there, but it's there in like name only. This is like, no, the plot's there. It's just, the plot doesn't matter. You're here for the Marx Brothers. You're here for the gags. Yeah, it's also the 1930s, too, Mm -hmm. where, you know, yeah, some of the movies were 
you know, they had depth back then, but this was also kind of a treat for people that were able to afford movies back then. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting the bang for your buck. You know, this is about a hour and a half long movie. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a tight 90. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to compact those one-liners, those gags, you know, the musical numbers in it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's always a musical number in a Marx movie. Yeah, because they're all, like, multi-talented musicians. Oh, yeah, it, it's insane the amount of talent that the Marx Brothers have. But when you walk into a Marx Brothers movie, you're going to leave having a good time. Oh, and yeah. even though, you know, you may not like the plot, it still got you to laugh. Oh, no, I got laughs out of me. I'm not, this, this is the thing I want to impart on you, on the audience, on whoever. This is not a bad movie. This is a great movie with a bad plot like you will you will have fun in this you will laugh there's going to be some good gags you're going to get attached to one of the marx brothers and you're just going to like watching them do their shtick but like you you're watching it and it's kind of like comedies now where you're you're there to see will ferrell you know fall down and make an ass of himself you're not you don't really care about the nascar race but i mean if you're not first you're last yes boo Yes, you're right. In the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. And his son's names are Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes. Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. But yeah, like, that's the that's the thing. Like, you're there for those. You're there for, oh, that's a funny thing. That's a gag. Oh, that's cool. That's funny. But, like, eh, the plot's, like, okay. It, it works. It's serviceable to get you from one joke to the other. But yeah, like, that's my, that's my feelings on Night of the Opera. I mean, we can go a little bit more in depth because I will say this, like watching the movie, like actually having to watch a Marx Brothers movie now knowing who the Marx Brothers is and how their comedy works. Mm-hmm. Um, I would very much enjoy watching more of them. I mean, I've got, you know, plenty to recommend to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I know you've seen, have you seen Duck Soup all the way through or have you just seen like mm-hmm. clips? Of I've it? only seen clips of it. Okay, so I definitely recommend that. Uh, a Day at the Races is mm-hmm. really funny when they're at like a horse track. And A Day at the Circus. That one's also okay. very funny, too. So, the Marx Brothers have a lot of movies. Some in the beginning are kind of... They're all right, because you, they're... You can tell that these were stage performers that they put a camera in front of? Yeah, these were basically their adaptations of their stage plays. Mm. So Or their, their stage performances on vaudeville, right? Yeah, so... You know, now, you know, they, they've kind of, you know, progressed into the movie business where the stories have really developed and, you know, are they're more elaborate. So I'd say, you know, watch their, some of their later pieces. Because, mm. I mean, for A Night at the Opera, that's Groucho's, like, number one pick of his movies that he made in his lifetime. Really? Which I thought would have been Duck Soup. Mm. I mean, I love Duck Soup, but I think A Night at the Opera is always going to be my favorite. I don't know if it's because that's the first one I watched. Maybe. That might be that might be a thing. But there's just so many funny parts of this movie that, you know, I've seen it a hundred times, gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, would, would you say, like, the stateroom scene is your favorite scene in the movie? Okay, remind me of the stateroom scene. Is the stateroom scene the one where they're jamming into the room? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that by far. By far, that's my by favorite far? gag. Yeah. Okay. Be, well, it's one of those things where I've seen that gag done so many times in other things like it's a common like cartoon joke it's a thing that's been parodied a bunch of times and watching probably the first film version of that joke it's really funny like you can see it's like yeah i've seen this joke before but it's a thing where 
you know, a, a master comedian can tell you that a joke you've heard a thousand times and still make you laugh at it. Yeah. That's basically this. They're master comedians doing the, the same old shtick or the shtick that's basically been so homogenized by the passage of time. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the original and the masters doing it. Yeah. And it's and it works. It's funny. I won't say this movie. This movie is absolutely funny. And I'm not it- going to say it's a laugh riot. But it's funny. But I mean, the fact that, you know, more and more people are filing into the room and he's able to keep a straight face. You know, you have people coming in. I'm here to mop up the floor, you know. Sure, come on in, you know. Sure, come in. I got some room on the rafters. Yeah, you know. Is my Aunt Minion here? I don't know, but why don't you come in and look for her? And it's just (laughs) filling up more and more. You have the waiters coming in with food. Oh, yeah. You have Harpo, you know, surfing on the trays that are coming in of food. And then you have Miss Claypool coming in to meet with, you know mr driftwood to talk about negotiations and everyone just falls out out of the room oh yeah it's it's a good it's a good little gag it's a good little scene i dig a lot but yeah and and this was their first uh paramount movie was it yeah Were, were they before were they at mgm before i think they were with mgm and how they transitioned to paramount was irving thalberg who used to work for paramount pictures mm him and Chico used to be bridge uh, bridge partners. Mm. So they'd play bridge and other card games. And I guess during a card game, you know, Chico was like, hey, you know, if I win, you have to sign us. Mm. And he won and they became part of Paramount. And that's the definition of don't welch on a bet. Right. Well, I mean, our story with Irving Thalberg doesn't end here because, you know, while Irving Thalberg was apparently a legend in Paramount, I didn't know oh, this yeah. until I, you know, did, you know, inf- uh, stuff for the movie, for the podcast. Irving Thalberg is one of those guys, if you're studying film and you're studying, like, Hollywood, his name comes up, like, for all, like, I'd solid, like, three decades as, hey, you know the guy that's, like, basically responsible for all the early Paramount hits? Yeah, there's this guy. You have to, yeah. like, learn his name. Yeah, I had no idea, um... You know, when we went to school, I considered going the film track with you, mm-hmm. or before I met you, I wanted to go the film track, and, you know, after learning about him, you know, I kind of regret not doing that, or, you know, doing kind of like a double major, because he's fascinating. Yeah. And it's just amazing the hits that he brought to us, but funny story about him, apparently, you know, super, you know, business-focused, but he would get so involved with his meetings, he'd leave people waiting around for him for hours. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Marx Brothers are the Marx Brothers through and through. So they don't, you know, put up with any crap. So he left them in their lobby, in his lobby, for about an hour while he was on the phone with somebody. His receptionist had already gone home. So what did they do? They go and they pile all the furniture from the lobby in front of his door so he couldn't get out. Mm. And I would think, you know, if someone did that to me, I'd be like, Maybe I shouldn't, you know. Maybe I should fire all of you and tell oh, you no. to leave my my building. You're not gonna fire the Marx Brothers. Come on. That's a that's a power move. That's a no. power move to all the other studios, no. right? No, no. So you'd think, you know, you learn from this lesson. Well, apparently, he has another meeting with them, leaves them in his office, and he's like, "Oh, I, I got to take this phone call over here." He's gone for an hour. So what do the Marx Brothers do? They decide to get all his wooden furniture, set it on fire in the office, strip naked. And start dancing around it? No. They decide to start roasting potatoes over the open fire, which my question out of, you know, nakedness, setting a fire in an office. Where'd they get the potatoes? Exactly. My guess is they brought them. They knew they they had this set up. They were ready for this. I mean, they are geniuses. So I would, I would think, yeah, they packed some straight potatoes, 
So Irving Falberg comes back to his office, sees this, grabs a potato, eats a potato with them, and he was never late to another one of their meetings. I would expect so. I would expect so. That feeling when you when you make a studio enough money, you could literally burn things in people's offices and no one cares. I mean, that just shows how funny the Marx Brothers were on and off the screen. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, there's tons of stories with, like, their director who, I don't know if it was, like, his first time directing, like, a major motion picture, but, like, super, uh, super kind of quiet, not the funny kind of guy, kind of like the straight man. Mm -hmm. So they would just mess with this guy, and I guess this guy had, like, problem with ulcers. So, you know, he they probably... Caused some ulcers. Caused some ulcers for him. But what turned out to be a funny thing was he was, like, a stickler on, you know, tardiness. Mm -hmm. So he enacted, like, a... It was either a $50 or a $500 fine, you know, whoever was late to a set. Yeah. So the brothers took this on themselves to kind of, like, sabotage each other. So they'd, you know, do anything to make the other ones late, including Groucho, where they, like, nailed shut his garage door so he couldn't get his car out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I read that, I was like... That's something that you and your brother would do to each other. Yeah, 100%. I, I, mean, I, most, hit, I mean, most brothers would probably do that to each I other. Have, I have hidden my brother's left shoe more times than I can count. Oh, God. It's great stuff. That's just evil. Yeah. Yeah, that's... What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, sometimes it happens. Sometimes you just want to, you know, mess with your brother. It's not bad. He just <laughs> went to shoe with... He just went to school with one shoe sometimes. You're terrible. Hey, if he looked in his backpack, he would have found the second shoe. Ugh. That's how that's how you know if your brother is actually doing his homework. If you never if he's if you see him at the end of the day with only one shoe on and you hid the other shoe in his backpack, and well, fucker che- ain't taking notes. And he hasn't checked his bag all he day. He ain't taking notes. That's how you know. Uh, well, apparently, also this director with the problems with the ulcers, he had to drink milk to, I guess, you know, coat them. I don't know how milk works in this whole process. Mm. Well, the brothers, of course, finding this out. They had his milk transferred into a baby bottle, so his a baby bottle would be brought to him on set every day. So bad. And it's like, you know, this poor guy probably just went home and screamed into a pillow after dealing with their <sighs> antics all day. I would go home and probably drink. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair to the brothers, this guy really didn't know what he was doing. So he would do like 20 takes of the same scene and be like, yeah. like you know, is that, they'd ask him, is that okay? I'm not really sure, so just shoot it again. So it's like, yeah, you know what? I, I think I'm going to play some practical jokes. Yeah. Well, yeah, Marx Brothers are funny. That's basically all I've gotten from this this episode. Marx they Brothers are, are really funny. They're really funny. Uh, what did you think about the opera at the end? Oh, that was a really beautiful song. A really beautiful, like, opera performance. Like but, the you know. like the signature song in the movie. Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a really good song. I know the actress became really famous for performing it. Yeah. Afterwards, that became her like actual like song she would perform for people. Yeah, that ended up being her signature song. And when they first hired her, you know, because she's you know musically talented, they she figured you know. That's oh, why. she would sing. But yeah. then they had they wanted to have a professional like um, opera singer like dub over her right yeah. and she refused yeah she was just like mm. well, d- didn't she say she'd walk off the set if they dubbed her yeah yeah and you know they took the bait and they're like you know what your voice is beautiful too let's do this and it's like you know that kind of you know kind of cemented her in history you know mm-hmm. this is her song yeah. well i mean a- along with you know archibald uh, beechcroft too because they both sing this song mm-hmm. especially at the when the boat's ready to leave 
Aww. It's like, you know, you could feel the, the sadness there when they're singing to each other. But I love that, you know, the whole uh, cast of the opera is just kind of singing beneath them. It's like, not only are these two talented people singing, it's like you got the whole cast. You got the whole choir. Yeah, it's like, it's like it doesn't get more pretty than that. And I know that you're a big, um, you're a big fan of the Twilight Zone. Oh, I love the Twilight Zone. So apparently, Archibald Beecro- uh, Beechcroft was in an episode of the Twilight Zone. He mm-hmm. was in the episode "The Mind and the Matter." Mm-hmm. It came out in 1961, and to kind of you know give a little like the Easter egg to this movie, he hums the song in the episode. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so... I dig that. That's cool. I'm, I'm probably going to go and watch that episode of Twilight Zone tonight. That's actually kind of cool. I'm going to check for that cameo. Me too. I was like, I want to see that and I want to hear him hum it. And it's kind of sweet that, you know, now when people are kind of like typecast and, you know, something sticks with them, it's like, oh, it's terrible. I'm never going to get away with this or yeah. get away from it. You're like, I'm going to I'm be playing the same role until I'm, you know, too old. But it's so, you know, sweet to see that I've seen like... um like older interviews of Kitty Carlisle where she's like, you know, from my kids, it's given me cred of, you know, working with the Marx brothers and, you know, being kind of the person that brought the song to life. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of sweet that they really embraced these roles and love them for years afterwards. Yeah. And which is this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, big enough movie that queen named their one of their albums after this movie. Yeah. So I love it. And I really enjoyed it, too. But, Boo, I think that brings us to the end of our little film club excursion. Why don't you tell people where they can find us and what's happening next week on the film club. Well, I mean, next week Next week is your pick. So it is my pick. I think you should tell the people what we're doing next week to continue with our comedy month. Well, I'm a man who likes, likes a good laugh, but I also like some action, some adventure. Some ancient Chinese mysticism with Kurt Russell in it. But yeah, we're going to be watching Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, jeez. That, oh, I am, I'm so excited for you to watch this movie. I love this movie. And it may not be a straight up, you know, laugh riot kind of comedy, but it is a very interesting, very funny movie. There's a lot of funny bits in this movie that if you're on, if you're on that wavelength and you want to like groove with it. This, it's a great movie. I love Big Trouble in Little China. Why do I feel like this is going to be totally a Dean movie through and through? It's directed by John Carpenter. All John Carpenter movies are Dean movies through and through. I mean, I do love John Carpenter. There you go. Why couldn't it just be Halloween again? Or The Fog. The Fog. The Fog. But yeah, so Big Trouble in Little China. All right. So if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are at the moment, we are on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and so many other more podcasts where you can find podcasts. Yes. And do you want to plug your 20 other shows? Uh, just just one. Just one other one. Okay. Uh, if you want to listen to more of me ramble about movies, maybe with a little bit more of a pretentious bend, because, yeah, you can find me on the Double Feature Podcast, which I do with my buddy David. We bring two movies together and try and find a good discussion point of, well, a double feature. Pairings of movies. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but we always have a good time. You can find that on our YouTube channel, In the Frame, as well as 
Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other sort of podcast places you can go to. And with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Peace. Peace.